0: Welcome to the Dime Boxing with Delco podcast. This is our first episode here. I'm on here with Delco Rips. Delco Rips, say what's up.
1: Yo, what's up, guys?
0: And uh, we're going to get going here. Um, Got a lot of different stuff to talk about today in terms of cards, but we first want to kind of tell our story about collecting, how we got into the hobby. Um, Delco, I'll let you go first with this one.
1: Yeah, absolutely. First off, appreciate everybody listening to the, you know, debut episode of the Dime Boxing with Delco pod. Um, my introduction to the hobby, uh, taking you way back, was uh, really Pokemon, right? So I, I'm, a, you know, I'm 30 years old. So um, in 1999, 2000, Pokemon was taken over the country. Um, and I was not an exception to that. I have a memory of being in Acme with tears running down my face because I wanted that blaster box uh, that they had um, at the grocery store. And I wanted my mom to buy it for me so bad. And she wanted to wait till like some occasion or something. And uh, yeah, that's how much Pokemon meant to me at the time. And I'll even give you a little anecdote. I committed my first crime for Pokemon uh, in first grade. I stole this girl's Pokemon cards and uh, I felt so guilty about it that I threw them in the trash Because I just wanted to get rid of the evidence. And my mom, I got caught because my mom looked in the trash and saw a bunch of Pokemon cards and knew I wouldn't do that uh, for any reason. So I then had to fess up, go to school, give the cards back, and uh, admit to the crime. So I've been, uh, you know, just really passionate about Pokemon cards as a little kid. I got some baseball cards and stuff. Um, But somewhere along the lines, kind of, you know, second, third, fourth grade, it just slipped away from me um, which is a pretty common story for, for millennials. And, uh, fast forward to COVID. uh, I started hearing about kind of, uh, the card boom and, and people like making a lot of money from cards and things like that. And it kind of started to pique my interest. Um, the first thing that got me into collecting was NBA top shot, um, which I know is a bizarre kind of entry to the physical card space, but I thought, uh, I kind of been through like uh, the rise of crypto in 2017 and was super interested in the possibility of how uh, crypto and sports could merge um, into this new thing like NFTs. So I was buying packs back when you could just buy them for, I think it was uh, six bucks or nine bucks. You just buy the pack and there was no queue or line or it's very easy to get at the time. And I bought about four or five packs, um, and kind of started my NFT collection, one of which was a rare James Wiseman to a thousand. And, uh, the, the James Wiseman kind of, uh, really blew up and went up, uh, it skyrocketed in price when, uh, Topshop made it on ESPN. And, uh, it ended up like I, I could sell it for $1,500, um, off of my like roughly like 30 to $40 initial investment in all the packs. So I went ahead and did that which I'm really happy for cuz it's probably worthless today. So, with that seed money, I um, you know, I was kind of like, what can I do with this? How do I invest it? And somebody put uh some optic megas in my fantasy football chat and they had them up for sale and I bought them. I just said, "Oh, like, you know, how can I kind of invest in the sports more?" Um, and I saw physical cards as an opportunity to kind of continue that fun I had with Top Shot. And I didn't really get anything notable in the packs. So I got a Joe Burrow Optic Base, which actually at the time was like a pretty solid card. Um, and, you know, ever since th- that, that was kind of the moment that I was hooked on it. And I've been buying packs, uh, flipping cards. I, I, you know, a few months after that, went to my first card show. Um, and that leads me now kind of to the to this day Uh, speaking to Danny Dimes on a sports card podcast Um, so yeah that's my collector origin story and how I kind of became addicted to this world of sports cards
0: well I gotta give you a shout out there because that was really smooth even though I got us off to a pretty choppy start there Uh, for those who don't know uh, we pretty much went into this with almost no planning it's our first episode but Delco just really smoothed it out there that's a That's a pretty neat story. So do you still know anything about Pokemon like to this day?
1: You know like uh, my six-year-old nephew actually stayed with us this past weekend and I got the uh, the real like kick out of he knows a ton about Pokemon and I was kind of immersed back into it um, and trying to like talk game with him and he's like you know there's all these new Pokemon and everything and my knowledge is really limited to like what was on the TV show in like the early two thousands. Um, so I don't know a ton about it to this day, but I, I do have like the only Pokemon card in my collection is a 1999 base set, uh, Charizard and the PSA two very low, like pretty inexpensive card. But, um, you know, I still kind of have a soft spot for it, but you know, my real passion is sports. Like in general, I just love sports. I like watching sports. So it doesn't really have that juice for me. Like I I like to be able to, you know, either learn about sports history through cards or watch the players that I'm investing in on TV. And, you know, Pokemon doesn't really have that. So um, I don't know a ton about it, but, you know, I have a little bit of juice from back in the day, and it was fun to relive some of that through my six-year-old nephew.
0: Yeah, that's that's really neat. It's good to see... You know, young, I feel like Pokemon's a really good entry point. And I was looking at like some of the PSA data, and especially for like the most graded cards of the last few months, Pokemon is really up there. We got to spend some time, and maybe that'll be something that we can work on for the next episode. Is we we need to sit down and figure out like out of these bulk Pokemon cards, which are the good ones to sub because people are sending in thousands of them. They are climbing up the uh, PSA leaderboard. So that's definitely something that we can we can work on. Um, But anyway, my collecting story, uh, I collected very lightly as a kid. And then I was lucky enough to be friends with Meatball. For those who don't know, it's Meatball's cards on Instagram. He is 100% the only reason that I'm in cards right now. Um, it was 2017, uh, mid to late 2017. I'm going to estimate, and he started kind of talking to me about it. Uh, a lot of it was focused on Ben Simmons at the time; he was the hot sixer star. This might have been before he had even came back from injury, and he was still kind of a mystery. Or maybe this is right after he first started playing. But me, like how crazy his like regular rookie cards were going for. And I remember being in cards when I was a little kid and like the base cards really weren't, didn't matter that much, you know, at least from what I knew, the shiny ones didn't really matter. It was about patches and autos. So I was surprised to see that Ben Simmons, you know, Prism PSA 10 stuff was going for so much. And then Meatball just kept showing me how like doing different guys would perform their Prism rookies would go for this. And if you had them graded in PSA 10s and and Meatball was just really early on that whole weight, like he you know, he had that strategy that a lot of people had like during the boom. So he, he had that early and he was telling me, you know, but go on eBay, you know, when Prism 2018 comes out, buy all the lots, send them to the PSA, you know, send the good rookies and all the silver rookies to PSA. And he, he just kept telling me to do that. And I really did it heavily for 2019. And I, And I, when that came out and I did it, somewhat for 2018 as well, but more so 2019. And, and I got really lucky, honestly. I mean, he pretty much gave me a blueprint to follow, you know, buy those basketball rookies, send them to PSA. At the time, it was like 8 bucks to send a card. So we were doing that, and he, you know, would help me out. I would go to his house with a bunch of cards that I would bought, and I didn't even know at the time what to look for uh, for grading. I could have been sending him PSA 5s if I didn't have him look them over. And he did that. He looked them over for me and then he would send them out. And it it was, you know, I'm lucky I had that start to it, but I got pretty lucky just being in on it, getting in at that time period, because once the boom came around, it was like, holy shit, like I have all this stuff laying around and this is the stuff that this is the stuff that was junk before and now people are going crazy for it. And and that just made me fall in love with it. You know, any type, any time you can make money on something, you're going to like it. And I think seeing those crazy profit margins, even though I don't think that that stuff's ever going to happen again, that was insane. Stuff would go up a thousand percent, you know, in a week. But just seeing that happen, it was like, wow, this is like actually kind of like a market now. And there's real, real money in this. And like, there's genuinely a ton of people interested in this now. So kind of watching it slowly build up like late 2019, it had picked up a ton of steam. Stuff was starting to get crazy, and then pandemic first hit, and it was panic, panic, and then pretty quickly after that, it just all started getting better and better. And now we're kind of on the other side of the mountain. But still like cards a lot, still buying cards, still here. So on that note of still buying cards, Delco, what kind of stuff are you looking to pick up these days? When someone comes up to your booth at a show, what are you hoping they show you in their box?
1: I mean, honestly, like... I think when I, when I'm going on a show and, and and looking in somebody's box, like I'm looking for gradable raw cards right now. Like I think with the $15 um, bulk sub PSA special, like to me, that's like one of the most no brainer kind of investment opportunities I see in the hobby. Um, And, you know, I, graded cards right now, like existing investments, I think you really need to get a good deal on. Um, Otherwise, you know, it's a long-term play, right? So like, you know, if you can buy a a huge bulk lot and get some instant equity, then I think it makes sense. And I'm not saying, uh, you know, not buying high-end at all, but to me, like the real like meaty juice of the hobby right now in terms of margin, is, is from grading and taking advantage of the speed of PSA right now and the, and the affordableness or, you know, even the speed of like a company like SGC. Um, So to me, that's what I'm looking for. And I just wanted to call back to your origin story. I think the thing that attracts me to the hobby to this day, like we see some you know, kind of the doom and gloom of the economy and, and the price fluctuations are going kind of the other way for us right now. But the one thing you said was that you really enjoyed like watch, like having that sports analysis, watching something take place in the real world and then like noticing the ripple effect in the actual card economy and, and the, the card price going up because of that player performance. And I think that's what that relationship is what we all enjoy a ton. And that's why I think, you know, this thing is sustainable. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm bullish on the future, as I know basically anybody that is still actively in the hobby is.
0: Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is that slowed down, unfortunately, so much. Like, I was just thinking today, Zion is like, looks amazing right now. Like, I was looking at his MVP betting odds. And I think they're at, like, plus 5,000. I was like, that's not a horrible bet. Like, this guy looks unstoppable. And then you look at his cards, and they're just still getting killed. Even, like, the, you know, what people call what's supposed to be the stuff that can't go down, the numbered stuff. Like, he just, I feel like the guys now have so many cards printed that that market part of it is kind of disappearing because... You now I, no, I I don't
1: I guess here this is an opinion because I I can't really know I I think that's because of the boom that occurred so like to me I think we will reach a point where things will level and then player performance will cause not maybe not crazy spikes but like you know you won't see you know for I just like I know a card off the top of my head that I I just moved like the purple ice Zion like just a month ago it was comping around like 17 1800 for a 9 and the last two in the last week have gone for 900 and some dollars under a thousand and he's playing better than he ever has to me that's not a re- that's not because like that's not a sign that that'll happen forever i think that's a sign that the card might have been too expensive right in general and we had a lot baked into that, a lot of expectations baked in, and also that you know demand is a little bit down right now. It's a holiday season, and the car market, you know, just in general, demand is down. But I, I do think, in my opinion, I think we'll reach a point in the not too distant future where things will become a buys again, right? Like even me at that $900 price point at a, P- a PSA9 Purple Ice doesn't sound that bad. I mean, but. You know, I think there's a point there where there's a magic number for across all assets that need to kind of catch up and recalibrate. And then when Zion goes on the best month of his career, like we just saw, I think that cards will continue to trickle up.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, stuff was just so overheated. Like, I remember how crazy, like the Luka base 10s hitting 2,000. Like, that just puts cards in a difficult place when they get that crazy high because... It's just hard to keep going up, and then as they're coming down, it, people don't really like buying things that are plummeting like that. And that everyone is pointing out that are plummeting, and that's it. That's crazy about the Zion Purple Ice. I did not know that they were selling for that cheap now. Um, but yeah, and you say like you know how the stock market, the overall economy, like affects it because, like, it seems like the past month. I mean, would you agree? Like cards seem to just. Keep going down. Like it seems like things are getting worse, in my opinion. Um, but like the the market has kind of been flat. The overall economy has kind of been flat. While it's not getting better, it's not really going up a ton. And I'm worried. Like if we see another a overall economy upturn, will that calculate that much in car? I think definitely people are going to be going to shows, looking to spend more money. I just wonder when that will be and if it'll have like a similar boom effect. I think it'll be more of like a ripple than a crazy boom,
1: yeah, I, I'm not an economist. i don't I don't know for sure, and I'm not an economist, but I will say this. like I think it's not tied to like 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 card uh, people buying cards is tied to consumer confidence. And consumer confidence lags behind the market. Like consumer confidence will go up when We see months of green, you know, like in if you take it back to when cars were booming, the stock market had been good, had been on a run, straight bullish since 2008 and nine. Like it just went everything up. Right. And then even when COVID happened, you saw the huge price fluctuations and crypto had its day and ran up like crazy. Bitcoin Bitcoin. At some point early in the pandemic was $6,000 and, you know, had shot up to like near 50, right? So like it, people have that money and they also, I think it, it really ties to consumer confidence. Like whether you have the money or you don't, do you feel confident putting it into a market, any market, whether it's, uh, you know, crypto, the stock market or cards, do you feel like you're safe? Like, you have confidence that this money is going to be okay. And I think we're at a point now where the stock market being flat isn't going to change people's confidence. And we need, like, true uh, green runs for a long, sustained time before people, like, change their level of confidence in the overall thing. Yeah, I mean, that was really good.
0: I'll tell you you started that off by saying i'm not an economist and then you said a lot of things that sounded pretty good so that that was impressive but
1: armchair <laughs> amateur
0: right ex- yeah exactly the couch economist but <laughs> but yeah i mean that's that's a good point i mean I, I, I agree things were things going up and up but anyway back to you know what you said about raw and you know how it's so cheap to and quick to grade i mean it's gotten Better, I should say. And I mean, e- it's gotten easier to get cards back from grading in a reasonable time than since I really even remember. Like before the pandemic, you couldn't get a bulk sub back in five weeks. I just we got one. Um, we sent one out. It was me, Meatball and uh, Matt's B-Ball card. Shout out Matt's Beball cards. He sent that one out for us. We got it back in five weeks and that was $18 a card. Now it's 15 bucks a card. And I just saw on somebody's Instagram story today, they got it in a month, like at $15 a card, you can get a PSA graded in a month. like, And then you see SGC has this great promo with 2022 Bowman Chrome, where it's literally a week or two door to door, and it's nine bucks a card. And, and that's something that I've definitely been looking into. I think you know baseball a little bit more than me. So what's your strategy
1: been like for this Bowman Chrome SGC special? I haven't really, you know, honestly, so it's funny you say that. I I I ripped a box of of Bowman Chrome and I considered the SGC special. But the reason I sent to PSA cuz I've already sent all my cards in the in a $15 sub to PSA is because I don't want to sell my Bowman Chrome quick. Like to me, okay. like getting it back quick. I didn't ha- I didn't pull like the Jackson Cherio super refractor so like I, you know the the cards I had. I didn't think that the prospect's perception was going to change from now until then, and I would rather kind of get the premium at a longer rate of time, um, and even spend six extra dollars a card. So that was my like specific strategy on those specific cards. But it's interesting, like in general, to see all these different promotions. I Beckett just uh, announced the other day. That they they a uh, fifty dollar sub in two to five business days for the holidays to get like maybe you have a card and you want to get it graded for somebody or gift it um, that I guess that was the premise but it's like the it's kind of like this great race for market share and a, a really true competition taking place among the three biggest graders in sports cards and I think it's great for the end user it's great for the collector and we're gonna continue to see. Uh, PSA up their speed until you know they feel satisfied. I they they hired a ton um, to kind of get them out of this backlog, and they're gonna keep running promotions to keep themselves busy. I think so. I, you know, I'm happy as like a as a collector either way. And I you know it. I think for the people that are around, I think we'll continue to be happy and uh, and have like an outlet for for profit for quick service and for quick grading um through through those through that competition
0: yeah i think and that's a good point that you made like it ends up being better for the consumer because i remember the days when it was 2020 and 2021 where you could have psa would have your cards for a year and they would upcharge you a ton and and pretty much just screw you over and tell you to kick rocks and now that demand's gone down in the hobby, they can't really tell us to do that anymore. I think the consumers in general have gained a lot of power. I mean, you see a lot of marketplaces, auction houses competing with each other. eBay now is opening a vault. And you know PSA, I heard, is, is going to try to open a vault. And all these places are opening a vault. Now PWCC runs their own Sunday night auctions that gets a ton of attention now and because ebay kind of dumped them a little while ago and and there's a lot of competition but i do think it's better for the consumer especially with the grading stuff because that stuff with psa and and i also know bgs had very similar things happen um, where they were just not answering customer support and would have people's cards for like two years i've actually heard bgs is worse than psa on this i don't send cards to bgs often at all so i wouldn't really know but you know i mainly i'm just going psa but i am trying out this sgc bowman chrome a little bit i am really not a big baseball guy at all i just mostly it's for the pc i'm a huge bryce harper fan um, as many of those who follow me on instagram probably know and I, i i'm a baseball fan in general not really of the cards that much so I've been picking up like on eBay, like the refractors, the veteran stuff. I'm not sending in any rookie stuff. I think that stuff's just overpriced because people are looking to send it in for this. But just like I picked up like three Max Scherzer Bowman Chrome blue out of 150s. And they're a couple bucks each because in my mind, if I can be into them in an SGC slab at under 15 bucks and I'll have them back in two weeks, I don't think I'll have too much trouble selling like a Bryce Harper... Bowman Chrome the pink out of like 299 in an SGC 95 like I think at a Philly show a local show I could easily get like 20 30 bucks for that you know Bryce Harper stuff sells well even for other guys like Max Scherzer his you know Bowman Chrome blue in a 95 you know probably like 20 25 bucks for that and then if you hit some 10s maybe a little more for those so that's an interesting strategy that I'm trying out not really doing it too crazy in bulk one thing
1: are you are you do you do you have cards going back just a couple minutes but like do you have cards in a vault what's your thinking on on vaults in general and is it something that you're you you could see yourself doing or being more involved with in the future
0: um i hadn't thought about vaults much until uh i bought a card from off ebay and i bought it from uh, gary at pristine mj sports and ryan kind of helped me out with it uh, ryan philly cards 25 he helped me out with getting the card to my pwcc vault and because it, it was my first time using it and and it's nice i mean you avoid sales tax on it it's just a direct transfer to your vault um it's a, and that's the only card i have in a vault right now i'm pretty excited about the pickup um, I posted it on Instagram. This was a little while ago. It was probably like a month, oh, like a month and a half ago now. It was a 2015 Flawless Tom Brady Emerald. So it's the out of five uh, patch and a PSA 10. So that's the only thing in a vault right now. I mean, I honestly, I use, it. it sounds kind of old fashioned, but I use a bank vault. For my big cards, I don't really use like a card specific vault, but you know, the experience with PWCC has been fine so far. I haven't had any issues. I also haven't tried to get my card out yet, but maybe in the future I'll try, I'll get the cards out of the bank and send them to an actual vault, maybe some more stuff in PWCC.
1: So it sounds like for you, like vaulting the value add is like, well, one, you're choosing cards that you want to hold like super long-term yeah um like you, you you have no plans to move them is that right exactly yeah stuff
0: that i I'm just not going to move like for me the stuff i'm holding holding right now is flawless patches and specifically like brady and lebron um i have a few of each of them and i just think that stuff is really awesome as a collector i really like it and i think it's just safe value wise you know even if cards keep going down now let's say they go up they spike again or have a crazy boom in like 20 years, let's say. And not that I, you know, I'm looking that far down the line, but my point is like these guys will, like LeBron and Brady, will be relevant for a really, really long time. So, yeah, totally. I'm stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's awesome. I, I personally am not, you know, not using the vault a ton, but I, I think. I think how you use it is, is probably how I would as well, or even I might even go like lower end and just do like PC stuff. I think, cause you just don't have the access to it. And I, right now, um, you know, I'm, yeah, a, I'm, um, a, I'm a pretty frequent dealer. So I kind of always want to have access to the stuff.
0: Yeah. The, and um, that's, that's a big thing too, is being able to have it there in person and, and something interesting Uh, speaking of vaults at the last Philly show, we were set up, we were set up next to pristine MJ sports. Um, So we were with Ryan, Matt and Gary, and they had a vault, you know, they, they, you know, they have a lot of their big items in a vault. So what they did is they set up some TVs. I thought it was great. And the picture quality on it was really nice. And they set up and they had a bunch of cards available on those screens in their vault. And like, that's, the best solution you can come up with, I feel like, if
1: you have cards in a vault that you want to put out for sale at a show. It um, was super interesting to watch people's reaction to – it was awesome. I personally think it was really good idea, really cool, and why wouldn't you do something like that if you had the type of vault inventory that you have? But I thought it was super interesting to watch uh, the different people in the hobby react to – uh, the, you know, the cards being in, in, in displayed in that way. So, like, the old school guys kind of, like, scoff, what the heck is this? Uh, you know, what a, what are we doing here? Where are the cards? And, you know, you could tell somebody like uh, Andrew Goldberg from it, uh, Luka Tiger LeBron came up and was like, wow, this is so cool. Like, I think some forward-thinking, maybe younger, more progressive type of collectors can really see the vision of that. Um and maybe, you know, the old school guys kind of still need to be brought along with something so innovative. Oh, yeah,
0: it, it was. I mean, remember that one. I don't know if you were at the booth for this, but this one idiot came by and he was like, actually like kind of mad about it. He was standing at our looking at their booth. They were directly next to us. And he was like, what's the deal there? He was like, are the cards under the pictures? And we were like, <laughs> "No." like he, he owns that. He was like, the, and then. So we told him the cards aren't under the pictures, and he's like, "Does he own them?" We were like, "Yeah, like they're just not here; they're in a vault." And then I think somebody at our booth just to mess with him was like, "They're NFTs," and he was like, he started going nuts. He was like, "NFT, <laughs> give me a break!" <laughs> but, but he was like legitimately like pissed. Like he, he, he was standing at our booth talking, you know, trying to negotiate a deal with someone who was set up with us. And like while he was doing that, he was just like. Looking at the TV screens, just like I can't believe that—that's bullshit. There, he doesn't have the cards. They're not under the pictures. It was unbelievable. The dude was like actually mad. But other than that, yeah, it, it was it was mostly positive. And I think that's something that you know people are definitely going to copy him. He's not going to be the last, the only person to to do that. So I think down the line, that's something that you could see more and more. And maybe there could be some type of innovation, you know, from the vaults teaming up with some of the dealers at shows and maybe they can try to enhance that and make the technology even better. But that's that's definitely like a forward thinking idea that I think more people are going to jump on like they should, because vaulting is great. Look, it's free insurance. I You know, I don't I have to pay for the you know little safety deposit box or whatever at the bank. I don't have to pay PWCC every month to hold my cards. And I think that's a big difference. But you were mentioning, you know, setting up at shows and stuff. We have a couple big shows uh, going on in the area uh, coming up. I'll let you take this one uh, to start with.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, I'm actually running my first show um, on January 22nd in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, which is right over the bridge from Philadelphia. Um, The Brotherly Love Card Show with me and Frank's Card Shop are kind of presenting the show and promoting it. Um, And it's kind of a first forego go into into running a card show. And uh, the reason for doing it is because I'm constantly having to go to North New Jersey, uh, right like outside of New York or even in New York to go to card shows because our area is in the Philadelphia metro area is really underserved for like a routine card show. So um, that's kind of the thesis behind it. And uh, yeah, I'm just trying to do anything I can in the hobby and experience different things. So that'll be interesting. I hope you guys come out. And then right after that, uh, we'll also have a local show, uh, the Fishtown card show on uh, pro bowl weekend. I think it's February 5th and uh, yeah, so I'm really looking forward to that. You'll see me right as you walk in the door and uh you know that that's always kind of the best show in the city limits and uh yeah we'll be set up there doing our thing
0: yeah i think i'm definitely excited for both of those i i I know i got a table uh, at both of them i'll be set up at the brotherly love card show and the fishtown card show um that'll be the first brotherly love card show but in the past the fishtown card show in my opinion is the best one uh in the area it's just very well run it's nice it's convenient um it's easy free parking it's not like a crazy parking situation easy to find it's in rivers casino um it's a nice one day show i know that the price of admission is pretty reason- reasonable which is good we usually have some really good foot traffic um i know that last time there were like free water bottles there which you never see at a show usually at a show and that's that's what's I think the big difference between like Fishtown and Philly show is if you want to get a decent meal, if you're starving at a show at the Philly show, it can cost you a lot of money, like 20 bucks plus at Fishtown. Like you can get a meal for like less than 10 bucks. They uh Brett, the guy who runs it does a really nice job of providing. I feel like some of those extra things like, being able to buy really cheap food is nice at a show. You don't see that at other shows. That's unique. you know, having free water but like that stuff, I feel like it is unique to that show. I think that's why I really like it. Um, and I think that's why there's always really good foot traffic. I feel like the Philly show, while it's you know big name show, I feel like it, it's just not as I don't know how to describe not as easy as like the Fishtown show is. So um, I'm definitely looking forward to that one coming up. And uh, it'll be interesting to see how the first one goes. What are you thinking so far? What are your thoughts on running a show? What, how has the workload been? What's it like?
1: It's a, it's probably more work than I expected. Like just to, you know, try and get the tables full and reach out to people, prospective dealers. Like I think kind of your first go at it, you don't have that established name. So you have to kind of explain it. Um, But it's been a lot of fun. I think. Um, I'm happy I'm doing this now, like two years into my collecting journey. Than at the start, um, I think, you know, relying on that network that you've built, the people you've done deals with, the people that um, you've set up at their show, uh, the, the, you know, just the, all the connections that you make through the hobby. Uh, it's made this a lot easier. Um, and so, you know, it hasn't been horrible, but definitely is a, a good bit of work. Um, you know, like it, it's not necessarily something that we're doing to make scads of money. It's, it's really, really about like giving ourselves a show um, that is kind of local and smaller um, that runs kind of on a reoccurring basis. So I think it, it, it's definitely different and interesting and it's kind of created its own uh, set of issues and, and things to worry about. But I, I'm happy I'm doing it been a great experience and i think the work that we're doing now like if we choose to you know get a second location a second date and kind of continue it'll be easier going forward having kind of laid this like groundwork
0: oh yeah i mean again the first show is the hardest part i mean think about if this show really goes well you'll have those dealers ready again to set up at your next show so I think that's that. Yeah, the first show is definitely going to be your toughest one, I would think. But um, we're getting close to uh, to wrapping up here. I know something that you mentioned to me before we start recording is that you want us to be able to bring our audience some transparency with some plays that either we're making or we're thinking about or maybe just stuff that we think is really good value. So um, I I guess I I should kick it to you first here. What, What are you thinking in terms of
1: what plays could you give people right now? That's a, good, that's a good question. Um, I, I think one thing is I, I'm not buying football, right? I think buying football right now is a real gamble. And I try not to be like too, pers- you know, swayed by, um, by my own hometown team doing so well and kind of rushing into Jalen Hurts cards. So I, I, I'm, just, I'm just wiping football out right now. The one thing I do think I'm buying um, baseball prospects that I think could come up in 2023 or could become more like household name baseball prospects in 2023. So um, people that are forgotten about from uh, the baseball prospect world are guys like Khalil Watson, who is the number one chase. You can now get his uh Bowman Chrome Refractor First Auto for ninety dollars in a PSA nine, and Max Muncie, who you can also get about sixty bucks for his PSA nine Bowman Chrome Refractor Auto. These were guys that, when the, when they were pulled, were going for thousands of those same cards. Um, and we've seen their prices kind of come back down to earth. People realize that their debuts are in the kind of distant future. And you see people in the new 2022 Bowman Chrome like Jackson Churio, uh, his cards are, are going for astronomical numbers, like just insane ten thousand dollars plus for some for the orange and the gold. And I think you know, kind of forgetting about them for a second and going for some of the guys from the last pull is a good idea. But I and I also just think as we move closer to baseball season that these prospects and the Bowman Chrome first autos in general across the board will see an uptick because the baseball card collector is not, uh, they're not as fair weather as maybe your average hoops prism guy, right? I think who, and, I, and I'm, this is speaking from experience from as a guy that collects a ton of basketball cards, but I think those are the people that may exit. I think baseball cards has a diehard following and I do think as we get closer to the season, you'll see those rise up again. So I'm looking at stuff like that. I also think kind of making your plays on the NBA playoffs now is a wise decision. Uh, I think, you know, I'm holding on to a pretty big Zion Williamson card. They're the number one seed in the West. I don't want to sell it uh, at a low price. I don't, I don't think I want to auction it right now either. Um, and I also, you know, I think so. So to me, holding that Zion and looking to pick him up cheap, um, I, to, I think it's a good play. Also, Jason Tatum coming off a finals appearance. Um, I think if you can get the right card of him and, you know, you're paying attention and really paying attention to the nuance of price because, uh, you know, everything, each individual card, all the different comps, it all tells a story. I think if you can do your research and enter at a good point on Tatum, um, I think you'll be in a decent spot. So uh, those are like kind of like loosely some like three different like avenues of plays that I'm I'm looking to make. I also one more thing I'll give you four. I picked up uh, recently. I picked up a 1953 Bowman the complete baseball set. Uh, you know all 160 cards. I think getting in. I just really my thinking beyond on that is. You know, we're seeing like we kind of talked about this earlier in the pod. We're seeing player performance not impact or not actually, you know, drive people up like we expect and cards continue to trickle down. The exception to that is not entirely, but the exception I've seen recently is vintage baseball is continuing to demand a premium. Um, People at shows are seeking it out more and more younger collectors are seeking it out. I think people are looking for like a a safe haven right now with their card money. So, um, and I also, I really get a kick out of kind of collecting and learning about it. So that was a play I made at the Philly show and that's something in the future. I want to own more, you know, Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, uh, Mickey Mantle cards, um, just to name a few guys, Uh, you know, I want to own more of that and learn more about it because, it's a safe play and to me it is fun to to learn about and understand you know why these guys were so collectible uh from 70 80 years ago
0: yeah i think that's really i remember when you picked the up that 53 set at the show that was pretty cool but um yeah i think that's interesting the point you brought up about the difference in basketball and baseball is really interesting because you're you're right you know all the hype these Who were in it were into the basketball stuff, like you said, hoops premium. That's a great example for that. And I feel like, you know, years ago, you know, well before the boom really started, it was all about baseball. Baseball was the card to get. That was the rookie card was baseball rookie cards. You know, people will call them baseball card stores, not sports card shops. Now we call them sports card shops. But that's a good. And I'll definitely look into both of those baseball guys because I want to make baseball plays. So I'll probably copy you on that. Um, Some plays, like just really interesting value play I found. It's not super interesting, not super sexy, but uh, like Tim Duncan, his stuff is, you know, peaked up pretty well, especially during the goat run up of early 2021. But seems like he's taken a smacking a lot worse than some of the other guys who ran up during that time. Like, for example, um, like even 2016 i'm on card ladder i'm looking at just his base tops uh 1997 psa 10 pop 2200 not saying that like this is the card to get but just showing how much his market is down like there were times where this card was higher before the boom than like what it is now like there was a spike late 2016 with a lot of the vintage stuff this tops psa 10 tim duncan went up to 75 bucks then and then it really ran like crazy late 2020, like August, 2020 during that crazy run up, it hit like 700 bucks and then it dipped down a little bit. And then during the goat run up, it went crazy and they were selling for like 1500. Now you can get that card easily on eBay for 70 bucks. And if you find them at like shows, people will sell them for like 50, 60 bucks now for cash. So I think that's just like a really interesting play to make one to maybe just throw back. I think it's a cool photo too and and just to compare it to like some other cards of that similar era. So the Duncan Tops PSA 10 pop 2200 that's like 70 bucks. But the Shaq 92 Tops pop 4500 and I know Shaq has a bigger collecting base. I know he's more iconic, but it's more than double the pop and it's about double the price. They do about 130 to 140 the Shaq's. And, and again, like with a guy like Kobe, I know Kobe is a way bigger collecting base, but it's a very similar time period and a very similar set because of that. So 96 tops, Kobe base, PSA 10 pop is about double what the Duncan is. It's about 4150 on the Kobe and it's 750 bucks. So just looking at like that difference, that was something I was just looking at uh, today, uh, but I think. My main play is the $15 PSA grading. I think that's just so cheap. It's such a play right now. And I think kind of going away from what most people are doing, most people are sending, trying to send in, like, the base rookies. Like, I send in some Anthony Edwards, the base prism rookies, you know, in the summer during the July special. Those are tough to grade, and they seem to just keep going down. And they're very high pop. And I think an easy way to find, like, rarity through grading and this is just something that I like doing, like grade the colors of the stars. So like instead of sending in base rookies of the top rookies, I'd rather find like a, the blues out of one ninety nine, the blue ices that are out of one twenty five for basketball, out of ninety nine in football, the oranges at a forty nine in basketball, the mojos at a twenty five. I'd rather find those of star players, like for example, like a card I send in. A Jokic Prism Orange at a 49 that costs 15 bucks raw. You know, to me, like, I'd rather be sending in stuff like that than, like, the base rookie stuff. Even though it may have less true upside, it may have a lower ceiling. I feel like it's just safer. Um, you know, it, you know that player has a very big mark uh, collecting base, And you know you can get some pop ones on stuff like that. I was gonna say
1: so much lower pop, right? Like you know, like you're gonna command. There might not be as big of a market, but for and demand total, but they're gonna have fans, and their fans probably can't collect. Like Jokic Prism Silver. What does that car go? It's like thousand, right? You know, like it's expensive. Fifteen hundred now. So 1500 So if you're, you're a Denver Nuggets fan, you're looking for the next, like, what, what can you collect? Well, you could collect, you know, Danny Dimes, Pop One, you know, uh, Select Blue, uh, Jokic, you know, from a, from a different year than Rookie. Like, I, to me, I think that's always going to sell a little better and command more of a premium and be less likely to get, like, comp to death, like, than a base card.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And the comp to death is a good point, too. Like, selling a card that people can't pull up comps on when you can have creative pricing is huge, especially when you're dealing with things that are highly collectible. And being able to say, this is my price, you know, there is no comps. That's a real advantage. And I think with stuff like that, when you're going after the lower pop, you know, kind of vet color from, you know, Prism, Select, Optics, stuff like that. I think it's big to be patient when you're selling it, too. That's not really the stuff that I'm consigning. That would be the stuff that I put on eBay, buy it now, or best offer, or that I take to a few shows before I decide, all right, is it time to consign this card, or or should I keep holding it? And I think that's that's a big thing, too. It is, as long as you're patient with it, then you can find that right collector. And I think, especially with the market going down, that's another big play or piece of advice i'd give people with the market going down it's big to be patient there's a lot of cards where if i would have consigned them i would have gotten a hundred bucks but i held it on ebay by now our best offer and someone offered me 200 bucks eventually like i I think on the lower pop stuff you just got to be patient people are getting killed on auctions right now you know people are sending their cards to auction like the rare stuff, they're getting killed. I think there is still a lot of stuff that it makes sense to consign though.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. Yeah, so you're, you, yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I, I personally, like I list a lot of stuff on eBay, especially in the last few months. And uh, the only auctions I've done have been by accident. So I've run like three auctions or something. And it's been because I like fat fingered a buy it now and just ran the card on auction. Luckily, it's always like low end stuff. <laughs> but I list everything by it now, like at what the last one sold for, pretty much. Or even try to just maybe if I can't see what the last one sold for, I'll just look like, all right, so there's three on eBay, they're all at twenty some dollars. Like I'm I'm nineteen ninety nine, and then you know throw the PWE shipping on, and to me that's like that's moved really well um, recently.
0: Yeah, that's definitely good. That's funny that you accident, you ran an accidental auction there, but uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that I think that's a big thing. It's a lot of patience right now with the market being down, but uh, I think there's some great buying opportunities. Like to me, I, I will enjoy as a collector trying to find those Tim Duncan tops base rookies, PSA tens, trying to get them for 50, 60 bucks, you know, to me to be able to buy a few of those and throw them back, that's, That's enjoyable. That's, you know, you you don't have to be in a rush with stuff like that. And I like what you said about football, too, because it's like, look how quickly the market changed on some of these guys. Look how quick. I mean, people were paying insane money. Somebody bought that Mac Jones uh, Prism 101 that that kid pulled for six figures. Like, what is that card worth now? Who knows what his future is there? Think about all the people who dropped serious money on Zach Wilson. Like, like, what is going to happen there? And it's so quickly, these cards go from 20,000 to 1,000, you know, it, and especially when people realize how many of them there are. Like, with the football stuff, it feels like there's a million Trevor Lawrence autos in the world. You know, that, that's, that's another reason why I'm kind of scared of football. Not that the same thing's not happening in basketball and baseball, but we saw the football market get so, so hot especially at the national, especially leading up to the season. And now people kind of realize like, Oh shoot, all these guys that we thought were investment options, like all of them are kind of tanking other than, you know, you have Jalen hurts is going up, but his cards, honestly, I don't think have responded as much as they should have to his play. But I mean, Josh Allen stuff is going down a ton. His market just got way too hot. Like there's just so many ways that you can lose. Like, Josh Allen is still playing great. His cards are still down because they were priced as if he had already won three Super Bowls. I think that's like another huge issue with football is like some of these guys just get so damn expensive before the season that no matter what happens during the season, unless they go out there and are undefeated and are the clear MVP front runner, their stuff isn't going to go up. And Hurts, the main reason his stuff has gone up a lot is because he was he didn't have high expectations. Like those guys who have high expectations, like Herbert, Josh Allen, Burrow, like what could they have possibly done this year to make their cards go up from how expensive they were before the season? And the answer is really nothing, which is why they're all going down right now. Josh Allen, Herbert, Burrow, all those guys are down right now. And then you look at the guys who are kind of cheaper They were the ones who actually had some room and it happens to be that they're playing well, like Tua and hurts. So they're actually going up, but football is just so scary that there's just like no room for them to go up. Once the season starts, like it's almost like baseball prospecting. Like you have to have it sold for when they get called up for football, like quarterback investing. It's like, you have to have it sold before they actually start playing the season. And to me, that's insane. And I just don't like that market. So,
1: I've really just stayed away from uh, away from it. Yeah, I agree. I think uh, I I didn't I, I kind of knew better and sold a lot of my football cards at the national and and the subsequent months after that. I went into the season with a few, but it's it's just not for the faint of heart. And there can be, you know, I I think in basketball, like you just it just more liquidity even through kind of tough times with the team and player. And I just football like one or two games can cause you to like have to sit on a card for a very long time it's um it's rough I I I may I'm sure I'll dabble again um but like you know it's funny like to just become like an off-season football card collector and then like during the season it's like I can't I can't stomach this like I'd rather just move on to basketball and baseball cards um while I'm actually just enjoying the NFL um but you know there's definitely people that you know, in Philadelphia have only Jalen Hurts or like that's their only big assets are all in Jalen Hurts. And, you know, I respect it. I think if they if they if they win the Super Bowl, like it, it it'd probably be good for his cards. But I'll point you to I picked up uh, Matt Stafford, Topps Cram Refractor rookie, um, I want to say in October of a year ago. And he won the Super Bowl and I held the card the whole time. I had it on eBay. And I had it for like, I think I paid like $350. I had it for $499, thinking, all right, he wins the Super Bowl. Like this card will sell. And it never did. Uh, it, it, it never went up and it didn't sell at $499. And I think I basically had it was a wash in the offseason, what basically what I paid for, it, if not a little less. And uh, that to me is like, indicative of the football market it doesn't and in really all cards like sometimes you know the player performance doesn't really necessarily equal cards going up it's all about that collectability i saw somebody on instagram put uh underneath like as a comment they said if you start thinking like nike giving out shoe contracts you'll do better in the hobby than if you think of it like a statistician And I do think that a lot of my plays are like, like from like an analytical statistician mindset. And I thought that was really like intelligent because collectability comes from really kind of like marketability and how much people are liked and, uh, you know, kind of their overall influence in the world. And that doesn't, you know, just because you're winning games or doing well on the field, that doesn't necessarily equal that collectability. Yeah, that's that's a really good
0: point, and, and it is, it does make it like really hard to stomach watching football games if you do have those cards because the volatility is insane, and, and like you said, guys can perform well and, and still really go down, um, but. I guarantee you it will only get better and better from here. Um, we'll come come to you next week with some different plays, some new stuff that you guys can take a look at. Um, Delco, you want to sign off here?
1: Yeah, I appreciate If you've made it this far, uh, Dimes and I definitely appreciate you listening. Um, I think we will get better at this and kind of have like a more organized content structure. But I really enjoyed just kind of sharing my hobby thoughts, given the thoughts of the moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think this is going to be great and a great outlet for us. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate it and look forward to doing the next one. Uh, for sure. Uh, thank you guys.